Have you ever been caught in the act? Doing something you know you shouldn't be doing and all of a sudden your mom shows up. You know that moms always know. They, they have these invisible eyes in the back of their heads, these ears that can hear wherever you go. Well, maybe not, but it sure seemed like it, didn't it? Now, I was such a godly boy, it didn't really matter. Um, you know, don't ask my mom about that, of course. Um, <laughs> she has a bad memory. I'm kidding, of course. Um, maybe it wasn't a mom for you. Uh, maybe it was a teacher at school, you were just happening to lean over near the smart kid and you just happen to see their answers on the test and the teacher catches you in the act. You know, for some reason, nobody ever tried to cheat off my tests. Go figure. Uh, maybe you were in a hurry to uh, get somewhere and, and you might have gone a little beyond the suggested speed limit. I mean, you, you had a good reason, I'm sure. And as you're driving like Mario and Dreddy, you look to the right and there's that black and white car with lights on top. You instantly pray for grace, but instead those pretty lights turn on and they're coming for you. Caught in the act. I have a confession. The day of my engagement, I'm rushing to get to the Newark airport so I don't miss my flight to Florida to ask Becky to marry me and busted. I explain the situation, I show the cop the engagement ring, and he congratulates me, and then gives me a ticket. You don't want to mess with Newark cops. This I learned. He wasn't wrong, though. I was caught in the act. Moms, teachers, cops, sometimes they see what we do, and sometimes they don't. But not so with the Lord. There is nothing unseen with him. Now, Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Now, if we are in Christ, we are his beloved children, and he deals with us like a loving father. But it still means that we are going to give an account to God. In Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus shows up in a vision to John and has a message he once delivered to seven specific churches in Asia Minor, now known as Turkey. They have been caught in the act. And that's good and bad. There were things the churches were doing well, most of them, as we will see, and things they weren't. But we're going to spend the next two weeks looking at these churches and what we can learn for our own lives and for our churches today. Now, I think expository teaching is important, which means typically going verse by verse through books of the Bible. And today and next week, we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, it's kind of more of a, a flyover. We're going to kind of scan over these chapters. And what we're going to do is, though, we're going to land on certain verses in these two chapters that will be an application for each of us and really for the churches that we're a part of. Someday I'll do a series on the seven churches and we can really dig into each verse of these chapters. But I do want to encourage you to personally study these two chapters. And my promise to you is that if you have questions about the verses, you can email me at Tony at uncagedbibleministry.com, and I'll do my best to answer your questions. And as you study these letters Jesus gives to the churches, you will notice that there is a pattern in these letters. 
Here's the five C's that you see. Number one, Christ. The letters involve uh, telling them something about who Christ is. Number two, compliments. Jesus affirms something positive he sees in the churches, except for the church in Laodicea. Number three, concerns. Jesus shares where they are falling short as believers, except for Smyrna and Philadelphia. They don't receive any rebuke from the Lord. Number four, commands. Jesus gives instructions for what he wants the churches to do. And number five, consequences, good and bad. He shares the bad that will come if they don't obey him, and he shares the rewards they will experience if they do. So my challenge to you is to spend time this week writing down the five C's and then writing down what each one is for each of the churches. And then pray and ask God how you should respond in light of what you discovered in each of the verses. Okay, we got a deal? Good. Turn to Revelation 2 if you haven't done so already. I'm going to give a summary of the church and then read a couple verses from each church and give an example uh, from each of them for our own lives. So the first church is Ephesus. Ephesus was a major city and the church was a major player in Asia Minor. It was planted by none other than the Apostle Paul and pastored by Timothy. It had a rich heritage and a great reputation. And he commends them in verse 2. Take a look. It says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. They worked hard for Jesus, enduring persecution and refusing to stand for any false teaching. Good stuff. I mean, I'd be thrilled for that assessment from Jesus for my life and for my church. And yet we see that doing good stuff isn't what's most important to the Savior. Look at verse 4 and 5. It says, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. As important as doing for Jesus is, being with Jesus is most important. Doing flows out of being. Being busy for Jesus can't replace growing in our love for Jesus. So here's our application from the first church. Daily time at Jesus' feet fuels us to then wash the feet of others. It, it protects us, coming to him every day and starting with Jesus protects us from wrong motives in serving. It, it keeps us from becoming self-righteous and from spiritual pride. It, it gives us the motivation and strength to pour our, our lives for others, even serving our enemies. Now, Paul had it right when he said in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. It's love that compels us to not live for ourselves, but to give ourselves in full surrender to Christ and his kingdom in light of all that he did to save us. 
You can have great talents, great vision, great work ethic, but if you don't have love, Paul says in 1 Corinthians that we are a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I just so happen to have some cymbals here. How does this sound if you're trying to talk to someone or spending time with someone? I don't know about you, but that would be pretty annoying. Well, if we'd rather not be a noisy gong or a, a clanging cymbal to those around us, we need to make sure that Jesus is truly still our first love, our highest priority. And if you're watching or listening to this and you feel like maybe that's not the case in your life right now, be encouraged. Jesus has given the cure in verse 5. Aren't you thankful for a gracious God? He, he doesn't just tell us how to be, he doesn't tell us what we're doing wrong. He helps us learn how to do what is right. And here it is, his words to the church in Ephesus. Remember, repent, redo. Remember when you were most on fire for God. Repent of the things that have caused you to drift from that place and redo the things you did in that season of your life. In the daily fill-ups that go along with this, I share a story about a season in life with my wife where I was taking her for granted and I was stretched too thin and I wasn't giving her the priority that she should have in our marriage. And God took me to the woodshed and I recommitted to courting my wife, to going out on weekly date nights every day to just stop and spend some time, just the two of us talking, to go out each year and take a trip together. I had to return to courting my wife, to her being truly my highest priority. Maybe for some of us, that's what we need to hear today, that we need to make Jesus and our relationship our highest priority. We might be doing good things, right things, but we need to not forsake the first love because out of the love flows everything in our life. Well, let's look at the second church, uh, Smyrna. Uh, Smyrna was a church in a difficult place. Uh, the Gentiles in the town were committed to the cult of emperor worship, and the Jews were committed to following the traditions of the law instead of acknowledging Jesus as God. So essentially they faced a double whammy, persecuted by both the Romans and the Jews. And that's why Jesus says the following in verse 9 and 10. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Jesus says that from a human perspective, the ungodly are prospering, but in reality, you are rich because you are suffering for the Savior, and there is great reward in that. Your eternal reward is the crown of life. And don't miss it in verse 10. This tribulation is for testing. Now, this is a whole nother talk, but be encouraged today that if you are facing pain or persecution, you, you're trying to honor Christ at home, at work, in society, and it doesn't seem like you're being honored for it, be encouraged today. Here's what Jesus is saying to Smyrna, and I believe for us today as well. Your groaning will turn into glory. Whatever groaning you're experiencing now, 
will turn into glory. Jesus will reward in heaven. Jesus will reward in heaven those who are willing to be Christ-like and suffer for the Savior in a society that is Christless. And here on earth, the suffering is a test that reveals where our faith is and is uh, where Jesus can take it. It reveals the good and the bad. Tests like in school, right? It reveals what you know, what you don't know, where you need to work on things. And that's the same as the testing of our faith. It reveals where we're at and where we need to go. And it builds us and toughens us if we suffer well and let our faith be tested. I love to rejoice on the mountaintops, but I've discovered in my life it's in the valley where depth of character and intimacy with Jesus is forged. The heat hurts, but it purifies. Warren Wiersbe once said, when God puts his own people into the furnace, he keeps his eye on the clock and his hand on the thermostat. He knows how long and how much. I hope that's a word of encouragement to you today. Well, two down and two to go. Third church, Pergamum. Pergamum was just a few miles from the historical city of Troy. Idol worship was rampant in the city and the sexual sin that went along with their idol worship. And yet Jesus said they held fast to Jesus' name and refused to deny him, even at personal cost. What an incredible testimony. But the testimony of the church was also being hurt because they refused to deal with wrong teaching and wrong living. Look at verses 14 through 16. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to, be a, to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans, uh, excuse me, Nicolaitans, them, <laughs> the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. Now for the sake of time, we won't dive into the specific false teachings, but notice that the wrong beliefs led to wrong behavior, specifically sexual immorality. And it's true today. In referring to wrong beliefs and wrong behavior, Jesus said, excuse me, Paul said in Galatians 5 verse 9, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. In other words, if you don't address it, it will work through your whole life and church and contaminate both. And I believe the church of Christ, at least in America, has been contaminated. We live in a world that values tolerance above all, but it's a tolerance only to what the world deems right. And it's not just about respecting other views. We must accept them as equally valid. But the church of America needs to stand up and speak truth in love with gentleness and respect to have the courage to call sin, sin, and to go to one another in love and confront when our lives don't conform to Christ. I just helped launch a church, and on the first week, here is what I told the people. If you ever see my life and teaching not matching up to Scripture, you have the right to lovingly confront me. Why? 
because I want to be pure and holy for the Savior who gave his life to make purity and holiness a possibility for me. Because I want to see pride in my Father's eyes when I stand before him someday. And I hope that you feel the same. Proverbs says, the wounds from a friend can be trusted. We need to recapture the biblical understanding of tolerance, which is not a license to think and live however we want to. See, the application from this church is this. Don't put up with faulty beliefs or behaviors in our own lives or in the lives of our church. In the American church, truer words could not have been spoken by Peter in 1 Peter 4, 17. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Now, I know what I'm about to say is pretty controversial, but again, I need to lead by example. Even the church has begun to abandon the biblical definition, God's design for the marriage relationship. Scripture is clear, and this is for another talk, but Scripture is clear. In God's eyes, a biblical marriage, a Christ-honoring marriage, is one man and one woman sharing intimacy within the context of marriage. I saw a recent survey done, but, and this is for those who identify themselves as followers of Christ. Over 50% said that it is not sin to have sex before marriage. And shockingly, while it was less than or more than 50%, but a large percent still, when asked if marriage needed to be defined by a man and a woman, said no. A little yeast can ruin the whole dough. We have to be careful that we're basing our beliefs not on culture, but on Christ and his word. Last one for this week, fourth church, Thyatira. Now, Thyatira was a small city living in the shadow of its bigger, more famous neighbors. It was a blue-collar town where the trade guilds stood at the center of social and religious life. Small, but significant. But there was a major problem for Christ followers. Being a part of the trade guild came with pagan religious obligations, and to refuse to do so meant the possibility of losing one's livelihood. There was a genuine cost to following Jesus in that city. And so Jesus motivates them with a reminder of the rewards they will receive if they remained faithful to the values of Christ, not the values of the culture. Uh, look at verses 26 through 28. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. We may get beaten and bruised in the world, but we are conquerors in Jesus Christ. Paul said in Romans 8, 35 through 39, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? 
as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to tell you, if that doesn't fire you up right now, then there's something wrong. <laughs> Nothing separates us from the love of God, and therefore we are conquerors. We have resurrection power flowing through our spiritual veins. We may get trampled along the way on earth, but we end up on top reigning with Jesus, the conquering king, the bright morning star. And so my last application is simply this. We win. <laughs> we win. Bad guys lose. I've read the whole Bible, beginning to end. I know how it ends. The good guys win. Christ guys, Christ ladies, win. And as I wrap it up, let me just give one more motivation. Look at verse 17. Go back to verse 17. It says, He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. Look, not... Oh, 100% sure what the hidden manna is. It could be referring to Jesus as the bread of life. We're going to receive Christ, the presence of Christ in heaven. But the motivation is the next part here. And I want us to close with this. I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. I have a, a white stone, or at least as white as I could find. There's a lot of debate on what Jesus meant there, that each of us will receive a white stone with something written on it, and, and he and the individual is the only one who knows what's written on there. I'll be honest, I don't know for sure what, what Jesus means there. But, but I do wonder if maybe, just maybe, that thing you struggled with, the thing that I struggled with, the, knowing we're conquerors, but, but maybe that area that we just seem to have a weakness towards and we keep stumbling in and we keep having to repent of, maybe, just maybe, that's the thing written on there when we get to heaven. Maybe it's the, it's the grace of Jesus saying, in heaven you'll struggle no more. You are now truly, in all ways, 100% a conqueror. I don't know for sure, but I tell you, I love the idea that there's only two people, God and me, that'll know what's written on the stone that I receive in heaven. And it's true for you. Whatever it is, it's a reminder of how gracious and good our God is. The Bible says he remembers we are our dust. We're not going to live out our true identity 100% of the time on earth. I wish, the truth of the matter is, by the time we uh, uh, see each other or you hear me next week, I can pretty much guarantee you I will have sinned in some way. Not because I want to, but because I'm a, a sinner and sometimes I forget that I have resurrection conquering power in my life. But one day, <laughs> when I get to heaven, I'll never struggle again. So I thought we'd do something to end, a way of application. 
I want to encourage you to go and find a white stone. Maybe it's out in your backyard or maybe you have to go to the store to get one. But I want you to go get a white stone. And I want you to think about the thing that you struggle with the most here on earth. That if people knew about it, that maybe you'd be embarrassed, you'd be ashamed. And we know, of course, God does know about it. But that thing that you're not conquering perhaps now in your life, and, and here's what I want you to do by faith. I want you to write it on your stone. Now maybe you have a small stone, so you know, maybe you just have a letter that uh, represents what it is. You know, I'll be vulnerable. You know what, mine is purity. I love my wife. I don't want to ever look at any woman lustfully. Truth of the matter is, sometimes I struggle with my thought life. Much as I love Jesus, much as I love my wife, I want to be 100% pure, not mostly pure, not better than most of the guys in my church. I want to be 100% pure for my wife and most important, for my Savior. So I'll tell you what I'm writing on mine. I'm writing a big P for purity because I want to be pure before God. What is it for you? And when you stumble, and when you fall short, and when you need to come to God in repentance, remember this, one day you'll have a stone, and one day you'll never struggle again. That's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for just how practical a book written 2,000 years ago to ancient cities is so relevant for our lives here today. And so, Father, I pray that uh, we looked at four or five different applications, Father, um, that we would take at least one of them and apply it to our life this week so that we may honor and glorify your holy name. Thank you that ultimately, at the end of the day, because you conquered the grave, that your son Jesus conquered and defeated Satan and death that we too are part of a redemptive, victorious, conquering story. May we live like conquerors this week. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you were encouraged by God's word today. You can join us each weekday morning for a five-minute fill-up. And for other teaching, writing, and training resources, don't forget to check out our website, at uncagedbibleministry.com. The mission of Uncaged is to help people fall in love with the Word of God so they fall more in love with the God of the Word.